Welcome to Real Women Real Estate episode 39. We have a special episode for you guys today with none other than Ashley Scott. Welcome, Ashley. Hey, everybody. Thank you for having me, ladies. And I'm Courtney. I'm Kimberly. I'm Ebony. Oh, yeah. Raise the roof. Yeah. Y'all doing all right? Yeah, it's that was a little dry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's been a tough, it's been tough times. Yes. Uh, but before we get started, let's just start off with our quote of the day, right? Heroes are not ordinary people who do extraordinary things. They are, in fact, extraordinary people who choose not to be ordinary. Because being ordinary is a choice. And that is by Kevin Brown. I chose that because I feel like we have a hero amongst our hands up in here today. So that's why I chose that. And with no other further ado, I'd like to uh, kind of segue into today's hero. And Ashley Scott is a realtor based out of Lithonia. Is that how you pronounce it? Lithonia? You know, it's actually Stonecrest, Georgia. We upgraded. And I yeah, upgraded. Oh. Oh. We became Lithonia is what my mailing address says, but Got according you. to my city coordinates and my mayor Jason Larry. There you go. I'm gonna shout him out. Stone Crest City is then up in this piece, Georgia, and shout out to Georgia because Georgia's doing their thing right now. So with these elections, hello, we gonna we gonna That's put it out there. Fight. Yes, and so she is also a graduate of Bennett College for Women uh, with a bachelor's degree in psychology. Shout out to my HBCUs. Uh, she also has a background in marketing with over 10 years of experience helping businesses and brands get in front of their target audience. So I'm sure that has helped you greatly in this uh, new career. Uh, most recently, Ashley is in the news for co-founding the Freedom Georgia Initiative with her friend and investor, Re Renee Walters. The initiative is a group of 19 black families who collectively purchased 96.71 acres of rural land in central Georgia. You gotta get that point up in there, right? Motivated for change after the shooting death of Ahmaud Arbery, Ashley was inspired to have a community that was free of oppression. They call the community Freedom Georgia. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you for joining us. This is, this is exciting to have you on. Thank you for coming. Okay. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be able to come on and to share our story and to inspire folks because it's been a, an awesome journey. No one in our collective ever expected that when we made the choice to buy this land that it would inspire people all across the world the way that it has. And so we're humbled, we're honored, and we're really excited that we've gotten so much support. Yeah, absolutely. Just hearing you say that, yeah, it gives me chills because like for you guys to think that it wouldn't inspire us, it just like tells us like, man, we're waking up, you yeah. know? We're waking up, things are changing, right? Like we're exposed to what we should be doing and we just want to figure out why and how, how do we get on, right? And that's, that's where I want to get started, you know? So how did you get on? Tell us how you got started in real estate. And um, Ebony's question is worded a little differently, but it's, did real estate find you or did you find it? Is that my best Well, Ebony? it's funny because I've always wanted to be in real estate, right? 
And so I, like most black folks, I didn't have good credit. I'm, I'm a millennial, um, just turned 34 this year. And when I graduated in 2008, we were at the height of the recession, right? And so I had a degree in psychology. I was tired of school. I was like, I'm not about to go back and get no master's, no PhD. I've been an A student all my life. I need a break. And I started doing like door-to-door sales because it was the only job that I could get at the height of the recession, right? And so I was like, wow, I don't know about this door-to-door stuff, right? I I gotta gotta figure something out. And so doing the door-to-door sales, I was working for AT&T at the time and before that I was actually working uh, doing door-to-door fundraising for the human rights campaign so I was outside in Georgia heat sweating a lot y'all while I was making door-to-door and I had always I read Rich Dad Poor Dad and when I read Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad the light bulb went off in my head that I needed to get and figure out how to get involved in real estate because the recession was so bad and the housing market had crashed the way that it did. Like there were so many deals to be had. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I can't get a job. I gotta figure this out. I couldn't figure it out though. Like I, just, I was trying to figure out, you know, what do I do? To right, where do, you gotta, where do you get started? Where do, where do you go from the book, right? Because you read I these read books and, I, and it's kind of like, well, what do I do next? I mean, I have all this information, but then how do I uh, put it to use? You know, right. like, where do I get started? No, I feel you. And so I um, I was going to every one of those seminars, those flip this house seminars and trying to get mentors and, and it just wasn't working. So finally... I I started my business, the Mobile Mavens, and I got into marketing. And I still had this real strong desire that I wanted to take the money that I was making and invest in real estate because after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I just knew that to create generational wealth and to really build assets over liabilities that I had to begin to like buy and hold, buy and hold. That was on my mind. And it just, I just couldn't save my money up. It says car kept breaking down. Everything <laughs> had that moment where you always feel like you, as a young person, you can't get ahead. But I just kept striving, kept plugging away. My marketing business got better and better. And then I finally got to the place where I was making a significant amount of money as an entrepreneur in my company, The Mobile Maven. I said to my um, my fiance at the time, who's now my husband, I was like, I've always had this dream of being a real estate agent, I'm just gonna go and, or being in real estate, since I can't have been able to figure out how to be an investor, I'm just gonna go to real estate school. I'm gonna become a realtor. So for me, because I could not figure out how to get over the hump to become an investor, I chose the lowest barrier of entry, which at the time for me was to get that real estate license and go to real estate school. And I'm so glad that I did it because it's really led me to being able to be in the position that I'm in now. Yeah, I, I'm just going to jump in and say, like, that's an awesome story. I think a lot of people get caught up in, first of all, I'm. you said 34, we're the same age. And when I graduated around that time, and the only job I could get was calling on foreclosures part-time. 
See what I'm saying? <laughs> it was it was bare bones out there. But so kudos to you for like keeping that going, like keeping that that energy going to find your niche. And the fact that you went ahead and were okay with getting your real estate license, that's awesome. Cause some people feel like, oh no, you don't have to get your real estate license to do investment, which you don't, but there should be no shame in doing it. Right. That was your that was your truth. I just want to say that uh, Kim and I we're not far from thirty four. That, that's it. We we we, we ain't we brought the line. I mean we thirty four. We ain't brought the line. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't brought the line. Facts. All right, my bad. All right, my bad. <laughs> well, no, but when y'all graduated, it was probably more jobs. Right. No, it was more. You know what? It was more jobs, but I think it was still that scary time of right when yeah. you're going from the, when you're graduating from HSBCUs and just trying to find a job. It's, it's just tough. That's the yeah. reality. I think it's the same way now. You know, all of us that went to HBCUs and that's just like the one thing, you know, you mean you think like the man in the sky is going to open up when you graduate. Yeah, that's actually very true. And I, I will say this kind of segues to our next question about how you coped with really like the brutality against black people, right? Like police brutality, brutality of people who feel entitled to take our lives in the street. I think HBCUs kind of cocoon us from that reality that there is that evil out there. And so coming into society, you're seeing this, like you, you have to come face to face with it, but that played into what you're doing now. Yeah. So I have, I've never been one of those people who actually like watch those types of scenes on Facebook and on, I don't even really watch the news to be honest. It's like I get all my news from Roland Martin unfiltered to be honest. So when you say that we are in this cocoon, I have been in a cocoon. I left an HBCU and came to Atlanta, which is like the black Mecca. And when I witnessed all of these things because you couldn't help but witness it because we were in the middle of a pandemic. We were locked down. Wasn't nothing else to do but see what's happening day in and day out to our people. And the, my husband was still going to work every day because he was in, you know, he's an essential uh, worker. And I was really feeling disempowered, disenfranchised after witnessing Amal Aubrey gets hunted down and modern day lynched in the streets. I was through because I have a two year old son. I got a fine black man as a husband. And to feel like, wait a minute, people can just make up their mind today that they're going to hunt my man down, they're going to hunt my son down. It really did rock me to my core. And not even, and, and so, and that's vigilantes, you know what I'm saying? Now, forget the police brutality. We've been dealing with that for forever. That's just Jim Crow's in 2020. It's always been these, these laws that keep us being brutalized by police. That's just a part of the Black American experience, unfortunately. But we thought after Obama we were further along than which we really are. And it made even more sense to me in this season that, okay, things won't change unless we change them. And I went to seek a therapist because I was tired of everybody walking around like this is normal. Like as if, you know, when somebody gets suffocated for eight minutes, when people say, well, did you know him? Like, what kind of question is that? Like, I didn't have to know to watch a young man get murdered in the streets, gunned down, and then to ask me, 
why are you sad? Did you know him? Like, what kind of perverseness is going on in the world that we are so desensitized to the murders of black folks that you think we supposed to strap up and put our capes on and still go and serve everybody's needs but our own? Because that's what we do. We go to corporate America. We go to places every day that don't care about who we are at our core and we give them our time, our life energy, we give them our talents, we're giving away all of ourselves to all, people every day and to feel as if you're not valued, it, it really did something to my core to the point where I said, I need to see if something wrong with me because I, I didn't want to get out the bed for a week or two because I just felt dis deflated I didn't feel inspired I didn't feel like I could change America even though I had been equipped and prepared all my life to lead I didn't feel like there was something that I could lead in that moment and so I went to the therapy because that's not who I am and I knew something was wrong and I needed to actually cope with that and get coping skills because just going through the motions is not how we heal from the traumatic events that we have constantly been experiencing. From Sandra Bland to Mir Rice, my, like we can name all the names. Those are traumatic experiences. Every time we have to witness this play out in front of our eyes on television, it's pulling away from who it, it devalues us and it desensitizes us and it creates literally racial trauma and generational trauma because we now have to teach our children how they should engage with police officers as if the, you know they they as human beings they don't we just it's, it's, it's so much i can't even go there but i needed to go to therapy because it was so much and that when going to therapy with my dope black woman therapist she built me back up. She made me feel confident again. She helped me see that, wait a minute, even when it looks like there are no options, I still have a voice, I still have a choice, and I still have power. Because I had felt like I didn't have any power at that time. And she helped me to realize that no matter what it looks like, we always have power just because of who we are as black women. And that kind of reflection back to you Someone who's PhD'd up who's telling you that, no, girl, you ain't crazy. No, look at this article. Read this article. There's studies that show you that there is a systemic oppression that has been affecting our community since the beginning of American history. And so you have to cope with this in a certain kind of way. She helped me to get those skills and to cope so that I could come out here and say, you know what? We fit in the build a city. That's so dope. How did you have the presence of awareness to say, this is the avenue that I'm going to go to get out of this? Uh, well, I mean, I, I have a psychology degree. So for me, I've been around black psychologists because I was trained by black psychologists at, at Bennett College for Women. So it didn't make sense to me not to go and see a black psychologist because I know that, that they're out there. And so shout out to Cigna when they called and they was like, hey, because of the COVID pandemic, we giving away some free sessions. I didn't have any excuses. So I was like, okay, let me go ahead and take advantage of this because 
We got, we getting whammies on top of whammies on top of whammies. I'm a mom of two toddlers. We in the house all day. I probably could use a little help. And so I went ahead and took advantage Shout of out, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think everybody, I think everybody can. And I'm right there with you. Three of them. Right. Three of them right. and a right. husband. And it's four when you count the husband. All right. right. I think he listened exactly. to the show. Exactly. My bad. <laughs> we gonna leave that in. We gonna leave that in because no, you missed that. You don't get You right. But no, just to piggyback <laughs> off of that, like I, I don't have any children. I'm not married. And when I tell you, I ran to a therapist. I ran to therapy, and also I'm learning to talk about therapy as it's it's something normal, right? If we in a conversation, I'm quick to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to talk about this with my therapist or my therapist said this. And we have to, as a culture, normalize that because slavery. Slavery, right? (laughs) Slavery. (laughs) And that's one of the reasons why I do talk about it. I, I have that as one of my questions that I want people to ask when I'm going to these interviews because I, we do have to normalize it because if somebody is out there hurting and doesn't have someone to talk to just hearing us say that yeah I went to a black therapist they're out there and it works could save somebody else's life and that's what I'm into I, I want all black folks to win and when we hear these stories and we normalize this story we don't know who we might be pulling out of the darkness that's what's up. And, and so I love how you've tied all of this together, right? Like I did, I, I researched you like this much. I looked at some of your, your videos like this much. And I love how you are not one of those people who's just woke, right? And you just talking about it. Like sis took action. Okay. Sis took action. So what I would like for you to do just real quick, give us a 20,000 level view of the vision behind the freedom georgia initiative i feel like people have heard about it it's been around the the media like oh a black woman bought uh 90 was it 90 how many acres 96.7 almost 100 acres of land let's round it up women it wasn't just me I, i it was 19 black families. 19 black families. myself and renee were the the co-founders me and her we went to Toomsboro, that town that was for sale for $1.7 million. And my other good friend, Q, who's also one of the investors with us, we drove down there on a Monday, June 15th. And we were like, yo, this couldn't work. Like, these are some cool people. It's a really nice county. There was a black mayor, a black chief of police, a black sheriff. I'm like, okay, I see you, Wilkinson County. I see you, Toomsboro. And I was like, let's see what else they have to offer. And as a real estate agent, you know, I lined up a couple of other parcels to see while we were there at the open house because I was not about to drive two hours away just to see one thing. And so when we were driving around, when we finally got to the land that we purchased, it was like, yo, this is good land. This is, is a, it was a gorgeous view. The air was fresh. It was just like a creek running through there, beautiful pecan trees, oak trees. I was like, oh, this is luxuriousness of nature right here. (laughs) And um, Renee looked at me, she said, yo, we can buy this, we need to buy this. I was like, yeah, but it's a raw land. It's gonna be a lot of infrastructure. 
ain't no well, no septic, is the line to run electric from the street down the, the road is gonna be a lot of money. We gonna need some help, sis. And she's like, you know what? You're right. So let's get ten. I'm gonna get ten friends. You get ten of your friends. We gonna um, invest in this land. We gonna build ourselves a little family compound. And that's what we got. That's what we decided then and there. The main plan was always just to buy land and create a safe haven for us, our 19 family members, where we could, you know, camp and put a lake and farm and have our retirement homes because a lot of us are planning for, you know, retirement and with COVID in play, we can work from anywhere. We don't necessarily need to be in the city no more. So we were looking at all the benefits of having a nice piece of land that we could know who our neighbors are and we could farm together, we could fish together. We have musicians and artists in our collective. We got doctors in our collective. We was like, if walking dead pop off, we gonna be all right. Like, we, we good. Listen, y'all wow. need a gardener? <laughs> I, and I had a garden. I grew some bell peppers and some jalapenos. <laughs> I say okay. I'm sorry. I'm not no, gonna even lie. No, that's what we were thinking. But that's what I thought of was the Walking Dead. I was like, they really building like a Walking Dead compound. Yeah. And so that's where we started was with this idea that we were gonna put together an LLC so that we can purchase this asset and farm it and start, you know, businesses on it and eventually make it our retirement homes and vacation homes. Um, especially because we have some elders that are in our group and my pastor preaches all the time. He, he says, who's going to be a millionaire? And I scream every time I say, it's going to be me. And so, and, and my friend Renee, she always screams, it's going to be her because we, we, we met together at church at our ministry. And so for us at its very core, it's always been about generational wealth, about acquiring an asset that we can begin to build a community and be, build a self-sufficient community because every one of us in our community has some kind of job or skill set or something that serves the community. So that allows us to recycle our dollars within our community. And that for us was the very first step to really creating a new Black Wall Street, creating generational wealth and really looking at how do we take a hyper-local approach to making a difference in our lives and practicing group economics and collective economics because everything that, you know, we're intelligent people. We've read Poweronomics by Dr. Claude Anderson. We read, you know, so many books. And so it takes a point where you've got to stop reading the books and you have to take action. And this was our way of taking action and practicing these group economics and purchasing this asset and building this business so that we could access capital and leverage it to create generational wealth. Because it's, it's always going to be a conversation about generational wealth if we're going to be talking about political power and economic power, especially when we're talking about how do we fix the Black community. Woo, girl, let all me right. just say that. First of all, that's Courtney's line. She got chills. I know she got chills. Okay. Yeah, right, Ms. Steve. It's so much. It's just yeah. so much to unpack. You know, we are a show about real estate, but I love how you have just come on and just really broken down real estate from the perspective of the Black experience. 
You know what I mean? I, I don't think it's ever been explained quite like this before. And we want to kind of get into power economics in the book. We'll talk about that a little later on. But talk to us about kind of breaking down the deal and like the, the purchase and raising the funds and, and the land. Can we talk some numbers real quick? Yeah. So first and foremost, it doesn't take as much as people think to purchase land. Land, especially vacant land, is probably some of the lowest cost barriers. However, you have to think about the fact that you have to develop that land. So the money really comes into play for the development of the land. So purchasing the land as is, is relatively affordable. The priciness comes in when you start saying, how do we get water to the land? How do we get electricity to the land? Okay, now we have to put down roads. Okay, we have to also do a civil survey and perk test so we know where can we build, where, how much load can the land handle, where do we put a lake, where do we have our waste management and our water, our stormwater runoff. So that's the part that gets really expensive. So when you first hear the numbers about how much it costs to buy land, you're like, oh crap, I can do that, that's easy. But when you start adding up the cost, to actually develop it, now you start getting into the hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars, especially when you start talking about more and more and more land. The smaller plots of land obviously don't cost as much to develop because you are talking about a homestead. So we're saying, I'm buying 30 acres and it's just gonna be me and my animals and I wanna farm, and I wanna use solar power, I wanna put a well in the septic. You can probably find 30 acres of land for a good 15 to $60,000 and then build your solar farm systems and build your house and get in and out of that entire deal for less than 200 to $300,000. But then you're talking about actually building a city you're talking about millions of dollars. You're not talking about $300,000. You're talking about millions of dollars. And so for us, when we got started, we didn't necessarily know it was gonna be millions of dollars, but we did know that we would utilize institutional funds and venture capital to be able to meet the needs as we began to budget everything out and choose our vendors. So we constantly are getting, you know, requests for bids and proposals coming in for like, what builder do we wanna use? What architect do we wanna use? What civil engineer are we gonna use? And all of those numbers add up. A civil engineer costs anywhere from 150 to 450 an hour. And it can take hours for them to literally map the topography of how the rain flows down the hills and the valleys. So I, I hate talking numbers because there's so many of them and real estate is just like a house. You just like, I can tell you about a house in Stonecrest and you can take that very same house in Stonecrest and put it in Smyrna and it's way more money than what it would be in Stonecrest. So even though I might've paid 300,000 for 100 acres, if you found 100 acres in the same area that was flat and had no hills, it might go for $500,000. So it's you an investment. Hmm? It's an investment. You know, you're, you're getting in, um, it's, it's the value of the land. 
you're getting in and you're you're building that equity and you're building that appreciation but not only that you're building an entire pretty much a city yeah you know you guys are doing that i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of go off just a little bit so i just feel like you you famous you guys you guys are out there right i mean everybody knows you are but atlanta i feel like y'all all family in atlanta are people like reaching out to you like how yeah. can i get how can i get on like i want to invest i would i mean are, are there like you know fans just coming up like hey you know like i i want i want in i want a piece i want a piece of land every how much you day every day we get and just regular folks too like it yeah. like it ain't no celebrities hitting us up. It's regular old working class, retired educators, retired veterans who are like calling us up like, hey, I got a little money in my 401k. I got a little money in my IRA. How can I get down? And so we have had lots of calls and we haven't really announced it yet, but we are acquiring additional land. And so when that happens, that's gonna be the opportunity for folks to get in where they fit in. And not just as you know an investor to try to make money off of people, but to really move to Freedom Georgia and to live this life that we're trying to create around our values of we're gonna have peace, prosperity, protection, and you know, really enjoy what we should be able to enjoy as American citizens in this luxury. Like when I say it's like nature's luxury like it's so gorgeous the landscape is beautiful there's zero light pollution when you look up in the sky and you see the stars you can feel that like god staring back at you it's so gorgeous and so i really want people to not look at freedom georgia as how can i profit how can i make money but really look at freedom georgia as our chance to build the best of our black excellence, the best of our values, the best model and example of what we could have when we put people and passion above profits. I love that. Oh, girl, you, I love it, Ashley. Yes. Okay, but I have two questions. Number one, because I heard you say Tombsboro, right? And I remember seeing that, like, it's a whole, like, I remember the headlines. There's a whole city out in... Uh, Georgia for sale right and it was like really popular and there were like Twitter things like if black people yeah it was, I went, that thing was going viral yeah. and black people yeah. was pushing it viral and when I got there it was 50 other black investors and realtors all checking this Tombsboro Oakwood house out like people were really ready to buy Tombsboro if I'm not mistaken somebody actually did but it wasn't us we so were land outside of it Okay, that's what I was about to ask. Is this the Toomsboro town? No, it's not. This is We different. didn't buy the Toomsboro town. We bought eight minutes outside of Toomsboro. Okay. And when we bought the land, we didn't know that it wasn't Toomsboro. We found that out during our due diligence period. Okay. So why was this land available? Like what you said that there was already a police chief installed. There was already like some sort of infrastructure there. What happened to make this this parcel of land available, if you can share. Well, in Tombsboro in particular, it was just, you know, this old white man owned all the stuff. And then when he died, the son wanted to sell it. And unfortunately, the town itself's not for sale, but all of the actual property is. So um. being that all the actual property 
is up for sale because one person owns it all. It was as if the town was for sale. The only thing that wasn't for sale is the city hall and the post office. And the thing that makes a city a city is the charter. And so you can't just go buy a charter. Don't work like that. And you have to still run for like city council and all of those different things, including mayor and chief of police. But they've only got about 495 people who live in the city of Toomsboro at the moment. And, you know, the major commercial properties are all vacant and empty. So it's really a kind of a ghost town for lack of a better word. Okay. Wow. That's super interesting. So, uh, and then the other question I had was like, when you brought it to your group of 19 people, right? Like your crew, was there, was the initial like reaction, like kind of shock or was it like, oh, let's go. Like, was everybody on board or did you have to like Harriet Tubman some people? No, no, I didn't have no time to convince nobody to be a millionaire. Uh, me and my friend say that all the time. <laughs> no. We um, literally, uh, first off, I'm very much um, organized when it comes to like how to sell something to somebody and marketing. Like I know like fear, loss, sense of urgency, like all my sales top taxes are like top notch, right? So when I put my PowerPoint presentation together, it was like, look, by the time it was done, it, it was a yes, Yes, yes. Like, it was everybody. I think 10 people said yes. The other 10 said, I got to think about it. And then by the morning, they said yes, too. We had the people who it resonated with. They said yes. And then we got those checks. It was like, look, time to write a check. And then the people who couldn't, didn't have any money together, then they kind of fell off. And that's how we ended up with 19. I was going to say, that's a good segue into, like, you know, just getting people involved, I think, and just getting people, you know, you said, you mentioned that there's just different type of people, right? You know, that, and I'm one of those, I'm the one that want to know everything, right? But then I'm also the one that once I figure out everything, I'm the one that's doing a PowerPoint presentation for this podcast. That's what I gave Kim. I was like, Kim, here's my PowerPoint. Are you ready? <laughs> and she was like, girl, yeah, because she's not one of the person that needs the details. She'll just do it, right? So I think you're right. You know, there's a different type of people and you know what's your advice to people you know that i don't want to say that want to build a city because that's that's a huge undertaking but you know a lot you drop some stuff out that you know as a real estate agent yeah i mean there's you know there's some things i know right you know septic tanks yeah i know you need that you know i know you but i don't know um uh, you know about development and things like like how did you acquire all of this knowledge in order to get the confidence to do this and what advice do you have to somebody else that is also feeling like you're feeling, but wants to make a contribution, wants to get started? Yeah, so the main thing for me was I had the um, wherewithal to do the research. Because that's really what it boils down. When I watched Stonecrest, because Stonecrest, the city of Stonecrest where I live, it used to be Lithonia. And it became a city over the last two years because of the group of black folks who live here in Stonecrest that say, hey, I want more control of how our, my tax dollars are being spent because I spend so much money on taxes 
there's a part of Latonia that had, you know, the most millionaires at one point of black millionaires, and they had all these gorgeous homes, and they're paying all this exorbitant tax, and they did not feel like they were in control over how their tax dollars were being spent. They organized their committee, they hired a city attorney, they wrote a charter, they pushed the referendum, and now we have a city. And so when you watch these things, that's the, one of the most powerful things and tools for teaching is to witness something, to see it for yourself. And so when I saw what they did and what made J our mayor, Jason Larry, who pushed this initiative, but incorporated Wilkinson County. And once I found that out and I was like, oh wait, this land is actually in an unincorporated part of the county, the light bulb and all of the connections started going off. And that's when I was like, you know what? This is how we fight. This is how we get the reparations that we might not ever get. This is how we control our, our law enforcement agencies. This is how we get control over our school systems. This is how we get control over how our money is being spent when it comes to utilities. Because your corporation, your city, you can have water, you can have city water, you can have city electric, you can have city gas. And if we start banking from a systems and big scale, industrial scale like this, this is how we really move the needle for black communities. Because at our community's core it are these charters and these referendums and these bond inducements and all these things that are happening that are legislative um, professionals, because that's what they are at the end of the day. They legislative, legislative professionals. They made a career out of politics and writing laws and we need to be more involved in that. We've been way too far removed and allowing other people to write the laws for us, which is why when I wrote my gravity, my blavity opt-in, I said it's time for us to govern ourselves accordingly. Because we can govern for ourselves. We don't have to keep giving our power away. We're here where we are because we've constantly been allowing other people to take the responsibility and then not even having and holding them accountable. We just standing on the sidelines talking about we ain't voting for the lesser of two evils. We can't do that. We gotta be more responsible and we have to be more accountable to the lifestyle we want to live and the communities we want to create and not just let them be created for us and then play victim. And so go read, read and study and have conversations. I have a dope mentor named Vanessa Hardy over at Keller Williams who does affirmations and she tells me I'm a rock star, I'm a superstar, millionaire, mega agent. And when you have those kinds of people in your life, it gives you the confidence to go do things that haven't been done before. And it's okay. Sometimes you're going to do things that haven't been done before. That's how you get to be called a trailblazer. And also, actually, I just want to say, like, you hit on something key about systems, like understanding the systems. And I think that's something that our community does not realize. Like, literally, you can go to the African American Museum in D.C., in that first floor, you see how literally the entire globe was built on our backs. Right. People found a way to systematize 
the transatlantic slave trade to our expense and we've built this world this same economic system where you can go anywhere they know you black you can't outrun right. being black so why don't we use that power for our good right so i love how I, you ask him i love a system so i love the fact that you have have empowered yourself you're empowering others to take control of those systems so listen yes. You got me ready to go. Okay, we in Texas. I know, I'm right? Land out here. <laughs> and we do. We have to go get land because that's the that's the trick of it all. When we look at this Constitution, they gave white male landowners all the power. Period. So that lets you know, like, okay, we need to own some land. And when you really think about what are the things that we need to do to create power, economic power and political power, it starts with land acquisition. Everything. Every time. In our politics. The, and it has a change. It's all, about, it's all about the land. If you look at the tax code right now, it is written in favor for people that own property, that own real estate and own land and entrepreneurship, but it's yeah. written so that, I mean, it hasn't really progressed all that much from just these founding fathers, if you will, right? It hasn't really progressed that much. And it hasn't been a lot of change. So no, I totally agree with that. And you know, what What are your personal goals? What's next for you? You know, uh, well, what's next for you? I, I'm about to go on a big campaign about credit repair because I partnered with Nove Money. You can go to www www.novamoney.com backslash freedom because what I know for sure is that everybody who ends up with an 800 credit score has a hundred thousand dollars worth of credit that they now can leverage and when we have a hundred thousand dollars worth of capital in every black business that means we can leverage that capital to create jobs to spend with each other as subcontractors and sub-vendors, to purchase land, to purchase homes, to purchase assets like art and machinery and equipment. And when we begin to acquire more assets, that means we acquire more economic power and more political power. It's all about those two things. We can't make systemic change in a system that oppresses black people until we have some economic power and some political power. We are looking as black Americans at some dismal statistics, such as by 2053, it is projected that we will have a zero net worth as a black community by 2053. Black Enterprise just reported that a few months back. So it's imperative for our survival as a people that we get some financial education. So I want people to sign up at www.novaemoney.com backslash freedom because our financial education program is going to prepare people for home ownership. That's awesome. When it comes to your personal, outside of that, do you have any other goals as far as your real estate goes? Yeah, so um, I'm gonna be doing more investing. I have a nonprofit called She Considers a Field. And so my goal is to identify as much land, particularly land owned by black families that are um, struggling to keep it and black families who are uh, wanting to sell and 
dealing with that infighting that sometimes happens when big mama passes away and don't nobody want the family farm. Um, my goal is to buy that land and then repurpose it and resell it to other black women and, and black families who are interested in home ownership and land ownership. And I want to give it away. So that's my goal. I, I have a heart for philanthropy and I want to be able to buy this land to free up some families who need that access to that capital and then repurpose that land to get, you know, black farmers, black women, black families, homes and homesteads so that they can begin to experience that same generational wealth that I'm creating for my family. I want to thank you for, for coming on to the show today, enlightening us and inspiring us and, and sharing your journey and being candid and truthful uh, with us today. And so it's, it's been truly impactful and special. And we do want to have our listeners reach out to you because we have learned that our listeners be reaching out to each other and networking and jiving and we don't even know it. Like, oh, I just saw <laughs> Ashley. Oh, you need it? <laughs> <That's dope. laughs> so please tell us where our listeners can find you. You can find me on all platforms except for Twitter at Ashley Scott KW. Um, and then you can email. Email me is best. Like shoot me an email, Ashley Scott, that's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-C-O-T-T at KW.com. You can also visit me at Ashley Scott Holmes. Dot com. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-C-O-T-T-H-O-M-E-S dot com. And of course, you can visit freedomgeorgia.com. Spell it all out, www.freedomgeorgia.com. And you can get connected there. Um, and I can't get off this um, without talking about the Black Achievement Fund our strategic nonprofit partners, where we are trying to get 10 million black people to make a $9 tax deductible donation every month to generate $90 million a year to address the issues of black Americans for ourselves. We spend trillions of dollars annually that goes to other communities. This is a self-sustainable budget where we can create jobs, where we can attack healthcare, where we can attack affordable housing, and where we can create communities like Freedom Georgia all over the country. So please visit www.baf.solutions, not .com, but .solutions, because this is a solution for Black America nine dollars a month from 10 million black folks and we can make some changes for our own community and build the kind of world that we desire and deserve i like it no i appreciate that i just i can't i can't go without this this last one because it, it just hit me when you said that and i just gotta ask drop a gospel gospel i know it that's it <laughs> That's it. We gonna praise Jesus. Sam, who 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 who's your gospel um go to artist? Cause my is Marvin. Who is it? Tasha. Tasha. Okay. And Tasha Ribbit, cause I love me some Tasha. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's what. That's how we gonna end this. Man, I really appreciate it. That was dope. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you, guys. This was super dope. I'm really glad. Please have me back again. I'll come talk to y'all anytime. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. No, we definitely gonna have you back because we gotta get the update. We gotta you gotta take us on this we journey. Already, with you. Yeah, we gonna have a big update. Mm -hmm. Give me like two weeks and then you're gonna be seeing me on CNN again, y'all. Okay. All right, all right. Okay, you, you better call it. You better put that in the atmosphere and call it and grab it. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye, 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 Ashley. Bye, Bye.